0: everybody. I'm Karen Hartglass. You are listening to It's All About Food. Big day today. We have plant-based community royalty with us. You all know the Campbell family. And today I will be talking with Kim and Nelson Campbell. Kim Campbell is the author of The Plant Pure Nation and The Plant Pure Kitchen Cookbooks. And today we'll be talking about her newest cookbook, Plant Pure Comfort Food. Now, in the new cookbook, we have comfort food recipes to satisfy a wide range of palates, making a healthy plant based lifestyle more accessible than ever. Kim is also the Director of Culinary Education and Development at Plant Pure, where she develops new food products and delivers educational programming. Kim graduated from Cornell University with a BS in human service studies and a concentration in nutrition and child development. She taught in elementary and middle school classrooms for over 10 years. Her passion has always been nutrition education for children, families, and adults. Kim has been a plant-based cook for more than 35 years, cooking for her family and friends. Her love of culinary arts goes back to her early childhood growing up. In a large traditional family, Kim is gifted at creating traditional American cuisine using 100% accessible plant-based ingredients, and she builds flavors and textures that are familiar to most people, helping to make the transition to a plant-based diet easier for people. And now a bit about Nelson Campbell. On the heels of writing and directing the 2015 documentary film Plant Pure Nation, Nelson Campbell founded Plant Pure Communities in early 2016, released in theaters in over 100 cities. The Plant Pure Nation film, now on Amazon Prime, highlights the dramatic healing power of a plant-based diet and examines the political and economic factors that have suppressed information about these healing benefits while making connections to public policy, medical practice, food deserts, and farming. As the founder of Plant Pure Communities, Nelson continues to drive the strategic direction of the organization. Plant Pure Community supports an international network of local support and advocacy groups called PODS, now involving more than 100,000 people, and is launching a grassroots and media driven strategy to engage this network in bringing the plant based nutrition message into local communities across the United States. This strategy will be kicked off in early 2023 with the release of a sequel to Plant Pure Nation called From Food to Freedom, which Nelson wrote and directed. Nelson also founded the Plant Pure Foods business. Plant Pure sells plant-based foods through supermarkets and has made a philanthropic commitment to waive 100% of its profit margin on sales of certain of its products in under-resourced communities. In addition to his work with both Plant Pure organizations, Nelson has extensive experience in public speaking, mostly focused on issues surrounding plant-based nutrition, but also touching on public policy, economics, and social concerns. Prior to his involvement with Plant Pure Nation, Nelson worked for 25 years as a business entrepreneur. He graduated from Cornell University with a bachelor's degree in political science and a master's degree in economics. And we have a couple of big things to talk about. So first, we're going to talk about a documentary that is just coming out, From Food to Freedom. I'm just going to open it up for Nelson to talk
1: about that. Okay, well, thanks, Karen. It's nice to be here today with you. Yeah, this is our second uh, film. The first film was Plant Pure Nation, which came out in theaters in 2015. And this was a, a film project that actually started out uh, pointed in a different direction. Um, we thought that uh, about a year ago, a uh, little over a year ago, that we were going to have an opportunity to work with a healthcare partner in New York to launch a wow. major campaign there. And so we had a storyline for that all figured out, and uh, they were going to help support it. And I won't go into the details, but we'll just say that there were internal politics on their side Mm. that kind of undermined, I guess, that opportunity. So uh, in that initial storyline, we had a project that we were uh, planning to do in Greensboro, a live-in immersion in Greensboro, North Carolina. And that was supposed to be a prelude, kind of the first chapter to this larger story, which subsequently didn't happen. But we filmed that project in Greensboro and we figured out how to uh, make that the movie. And it turned out, I think, really uh, quite well. I'm really excited about the film. Um, I don't want to give away all of the details because the film is not coming out till March. And um, (laughs) eventually uh, we hope to get it on Amazon or Netflix. um, So it's widely available. But I'll just tell enough to kind of um, give you a sense of what it's about. So we recruited six people to participate in a 10 day live-in immersion. All six people uh, had type two diabetes and they were all taking insulin. <clears throat> so they came to this location in Greensboro for 10 days. Um, we also uh, Kim had Kim there and a chef friend of ours, Fernando Peralta, and the two of them prepared meals for these folks, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 10 days. So they ate like like royalty. <laughs> the food was fantastic. Um, we also had a friend of ours who's a physician, Dr. Lori Marbus, who's known by many people in the plant-based community, who came and lived in the house for 10 days. Um, mm-hmm. They all had Libre monitors so that Lori could monitor their glucose levels 24-7. And so uh, we film the whole process and we, you know, during the course of the film, we hear their individual stories and, you know, even before they got there. And so we get to know them and then we see how their bodies heal through this process. And it's really quite striking. Um, this then creates the opportunity for us in the film to digress into larger topics. So we we digress into the connection of nutrition, to chronic disease, to immunity, and to the pandemic that we just lived through. And we also note the failure of many of the authorities to help communicate the connection between food and immunity and and the worst outcomes from COVID. As we point out in the film, you know, early in the pandemic, the Italian government, when they were experiencing that early surge, did a study and they found that around 99 percent of the people who were dying had preexisting conditions, mostly chronic conditions. And in this country here, um, the, the, it's a little, uh, the, a little vague and uncertain, but it, up to about 40 percent of the people who, who were dying in this country actually had diabetes, mostly type 2 diabetes. Um, and yet this critical connection of food to immunity to the you know worst outcomes of COVID wasn't communicated well uh, at all, actually, during the <laughs> pandemic. So we discuss that. Um, and we also, for uh, the latter part of the film, we catch up with the participants to see how they're doing six months later. So that's interesting. And it gives us an opportunity to make some other points. So that's essentially the the outline of the story. And um, Uh, I'm just pretty excited about it. I think it's, it's, it's a good film.
0: It is a good film. I'm glad I watched it. And again, we don't want to give away much, but this issue of government power and the information that the government is going to give us and lead us with, unfortunately, it's a continuing story through the generations because your father experienced so much pushback when he was giving excellent advice over the years to panels and trying to make change. And the lobbyists and the capitalists and the the meat and sugar and dairy industries were all pushing back against very vital information that is so important to our nation and to the whole planet as we know now because <laughs> we all know what animal agriculture is doing not only to our personal health but the health of the planet so i don't know how it felt to you i i, I know you felt you had to had to do this film but how frustrating we went through this pandemic and we knew how we could have prevented it or at least minimized it significantly
1: yes it was really really frustrating i remember you know early on you know it, it it looked kind of scary what was happening um in in asia and china i mean i'm sorry italy and um i thought to myself gosh this this doesn't look good and you know I remember uh, going to a subway uh, shop. It, uh, it was actually sheets, I think, and there were a lot of folks in there who clearly weren't eating well. And I remember turning to Kim and I said, "I'm so concerned about these folks and what's coming for them <laughs> and and then that that study came out, you know, about the numbers of people who had pre-existing conditions who were experiencing the worst outcomes, and I thought OK, so at least, though, the government's going to have to tell people, finally, they're going to have to this information is going to have to be shared because, you know, this is life and death. And I, I just can't believe that we went through the entire pandemic and, you know, people in positions of power who understand the connection of food to, say, type, type 2 diabetes didn't talk about this. And, 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 and in our film, we don't get into the issues of masking and hand washing and shutdowns and vaccinations. We don't touch any of that stuff because, you know, we just wanted to focus on food and we're not taking a position pro or con. You know, we're just not sure. really speaking to those issues. So I'm not I'm not being critical in that sense. I'm just saying that they omitted the most important thing of all. And even key personalities in the media who in the past had publicly stated their understanding of the connection of nutrition to chronic disease, to immunity, didn't say anything. And so all of that was just, just so frustrating.
0: Did you, do you think it was intentional? You know, I don't understand humans, okay? We have a lot of information now. And, and, I, and even, we're not going to talk about the film in detail, but I'm, I'm going to bring up something related to it. But it's just how humans process information and then act or don't act upon what they know.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes there is ignorance at play, but sadly, uh, oftentimes it's it's a willful uh, uh outcome. You know, uh, pe- people know what they should say, but they but, but but they oftentimes don't because they're conforming to the expectations of their institutions hmm. and they're you know motivated to further their own reputations, their own.
2: I'm gonna interject here. Uh, yeah. What was the quote that one of the participants said that it was a comfortable ignorance was a comfortable place to be?
1: Well, yeah. So, so yeah. Well, we did have um uh what you're talking about is why is it that some people, when they learn this information, don't make change in their their lives? And so one of the participants said, well, you know, uh, denial is is a comfortable place to be.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But what I'm talking about now is the 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 people in, in positions of power in You know, I think um, a lot of times we we sort of talk about you know we complain about the system, the government, the industry, and we forget that there are are people and human beings who make these decisions. and And I think we need to start holding people accountable. You know, we can't hide behind these institutional faces. People have to start doing what's right. You know, not what's comfortable.
0: On the subject of. COVID-19 the pandemic we're also seeing higher rates of the flu uh, in addition to the all the chronic diseases that people are experiencing but can you just talk about why maybe having the cold or the flu is important to our health
1: oh yes you know it's it's part of nature it's part of what's natural to us and this is going to sound weird to some of your listeners, perhaps, but it's kind of like when you think about it, it's a form of nutrition. You're consuming, you know, you have to consume food, uh, you consume sunlight, you consume air, you also consume viruses. They're all over the place. And it's your exposure to viruses that keep your immune system strong, Um now obviously if you're a vulnerable person and you're at high risk I'm not suggesting that you run out and try to catch the covid virus so don't misunderstand what I'm saying but I think that um, you know we need to be healthy and do what's necessary to be healthy and then not be afraid to expose ourselves to viruses you know we have uh, there we all know people who've locked themselves into their houses because of the pandemic still really haven't some people still haven't come out yep and and the danger of that is that you know putting yourself in a bubble, your immune system's not getting uh exercise it's It's wasting away, and so you know it's important it's important to live life and be healthy and expose yourself to whatever's out there.
0: I like to think of it as as exercise. It's a form of exercise, like our body responds to viruses and builds muscle <laughs> to deal yeah. with them. It's just my own kind of imagery. And I know that our response to any kind of illness too is important, not just what our bodies are doing, but what we're doing. So I know that when I start to feel under the weather, that's the time to take a step back and minimize my activities and rest so my body can do what it needs to do. And and so many of us don't have the time for that or the ability, and just kind of push through, and then I think the impact would is even worse.
1: Yeah, and natural immunity, and my dad talks about this a lot. It's another source of great misinformation uh, during the pandemic. Natural immunity is by far the strongest form of immunity. When you get sick, your whole body's infected. You know every you know all of your cells are engaged, and everything's engaged in your body to fight the virus. It's a whole body response and and so that's always the strongest form of of immunity and and that's why it's good to expose yourself and go ahead and get sick and let your body deal with it and then you know but the key is to eat great healthy food uh, like like what what, <laughs> what Kim's become so proficient at at
2: so I'm gonna back up a little bit know. because Nelson and I raised three kids and we raised them plant-based and I taught in elementary school so we were always exposed to viruses. Huh. They were in and out of our house. And I don't ever remember being afraid yeah. of getting a virus. Um, it certainly wasn't pleasant, but I don't yeah.
1: remember. And and, and if you eat well, you are still going to get sick. You know, I'm always suspicious when people say, oh, I never get sick. You know, maybe you don't get as sick as, as badly. And maybe instead of getting a full-blown flu, it's more like a cold or something. But um you're still going to get sick
0: and i know that i've been a vegan for 35 years and vegetarian for longer and i got advanced ovarian cancer and i know it was because of the environment and i know my diet saved my life i i also had medical care but um i was strong and i was able to go through the procedures and get well so that's the price of being a human being and living on this crazy planet
1: that's right
0: yeah i believe in this diet now You seem like a very happy couple. (laughs) I don't know what your daily life is like, but you seem to be philosophically on the same page, at least when it comes to plant foods. And that's important in a couple because there are so many different obstacles to eating well and society is not in our favor. They're wanting us to do all the wrong things. And it's so important for a couple to be in sync because we're supposed to be taking responsibility for our lives. This film that you've created, it's about freedom, but we have to take responsibility to get that freedom. And part of it is, is um, having the support of the people around you.
2: Yeah, we're pretty fortunate to to have each other because yeah. that's one of the things that gets addressed in the film is that so many people, you know, they learn this and they, they, they feel the power of the plants, but then they go home and it's really difficult if they don't have the family support, so you talk about that nicely in the film.
1: Yes, yeah, so we um we do. We talk about you you brought it up just just now Karen that the 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 key to freedom is is that decision to take responsibility for one's life and it's true in every aspect of our life. You know, when we make that decision that we're going to take responsibility uh we gain control over our life and that gives us freedom. And so that's an important point but but it's also true that in order to take that to make that decision that that's that we need support, we need education, we need incentives um and some people don't have that and and we do make that point in the film, so it's important you know when we talk about this idea of responsibility that we don't do that in a judgmental way, and that we always have empathy for people uh who face greater obstacles in making those right decisions. And so that's why ultimately, you know we do have to take a societal approach to promoting, uh, promoting this message.
0: I like, I like to say that if I could cook for everyone on the planet, I would. <laughs> and a lot of people tell me, you've probably heard it too, you know if if you could only cook for me, you know, I could eat this way. And people really struggle with being able to do what's good for themselves, and i I see with what you're doing with your plant pure activities and companies that you're trying to make it easier for people. And part of that is creating recipes so people can prepare the food at home. So let's jump to one of the tools that you have out there. And that's Kim's newest cookbook, Plant Pure Comfort Food. Some people would say, wait a minute, that's like an oxymoron, isn't it?
2: You know, going back to even the first film that Nelson did, I knew I was teaching at the time and I left my job to kind of partner up with Nelson but I knew that I wanted to teach people how to do this and be a resource for them because it's really the, the, how, how do you do it? Um, and like you say, if I could cook for the world, I would, <laughs> I had the time and the resources. Um, but creating cookbooks allows me to sort of cook for people and give them, you know, the tools to be successful. Plant pure comfort food happened during the pandemic. We did uh, live cook alongs every week to kind of help people you know cook with me and learn the basics and I th- I think it helped a lot of people and then we created all these recipes we used these recipes during the film these were some of the recipes we fed people comfort food because that's that's what's familiar to people and that's what they really enjoyed and they did enjoy the food it was it was pretty amazing so then shortly after the film I called our publishing company and said I think I have another cookbook so that's where <laughs> your comfort food comes from. Um, lots of recipes from a lot of different cultures, um, traditional you know things like falafels and Spanish paella and um, Asian dumplings, and just some real um, traditional recipes that we all we all know and love.
0: I don't know what people's definition is of comfort food, and I'm sure all of us have our own individual choices of something we reach out for to bring us comfort. But in this sad standard American diet society. Most people will reach out for foods that have lots of oil, sugar, and salt. So how do you make a comforting meal that doesn't have the ingredients we want to put in our bodies?
2: So our cookbook doesn't use, I don't use any oil when I'm cooking. I rely on things like nuts and seeds and avocados and, you know, higher, higher fat plant-based foods. If I need something a little bit um, with, with a little bit of oil Um, I don't use a lot of sugar and salt, but I do use it to flavor food because I think it's very, very important to make food that tastes good to people. So I think one of my mottos is that find your substitutions because the way I build recipes is I go to traditional mainstream recipes and I substitute things out. And most of the time I get something that's very surprisingly delicious So I think knowing what your meat substitutes are, you know, your soy curls and your lentils and your nuts and your seeds and uh, beans. And I'm probably going to forget something, mushrooms and all those things that are really good protein meat replacements. Then knowing what your dairy replacements are. uh, I make plant-based yogurt. We make cheese sauce, you know, kind of going in that department. You don't need to buy the processed cheeses and meats out there because they're loaded with oils and they're expensive So I tell people, make your own. And then, um, you know, things like eggs and using flax meal and tofu and using the the great substitution. So I have a section in the cookbook where I talk about substitutions. Um, And I do that, I think, in every single cookbook because I think that's a really good tool to teach people how to go plant-based. And I've worked with a lot of people who are traditional mainstream eaters. And that's their first question. How do I replace the cheese and the meat?
0: It's not that difficult. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have to want to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the information is there. So, just to talk about a few recipes, I was just talking to my brother the other day. He's a vegan, as I am, long term vegans. And he was mentioning that he was eating granola. And I was asking him, Are you buying it? What's in it? You know, (laughs) because. We can be vegan, but we may not be healthy vegans, right? I know that uh, Dr. T. Colin Campbell was uh, one of the original people talking about how a vegan diet does not mean it's a healthy diet. Mm -hmm. And that's where whole food plant-based came from, right? That's right. Yeah. So anyway, you have a granola recipe that I think I might try and make for my brother.
2: Granola is typically very high in oil. They use a lot of oil to make it crunchy and crispy. Right. I don't. I use bananas. I use dried fruit. Um, a lot of spices. It's it's actually called I think the title of it is customize your own granola. You can make it any way you want. You're really throwing that wet ingredient onto the dry ingredient and teaching people what what dry ingredients can you put in the granola. But the granola's it's to me it tastes just as good as what you buy on the shelf and it's a whole lot cheaper, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah. Very good. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: It's funny because I remember the first granola I ever made at home was from a recipe from Diet for a Small Planet back in the 70s, which recently had its 50th year anniversary edition that came out. And I don't make that recipe anymore. I don't want to slam that book or those recipes, but it had things in it that I don't eat anymore. But it was a good start. We are big on pancakes and waffles in our house, and I'm always coming up with new flour mixes. I like to play with gluten free flours. I don't like what's available in the market. We like to everything that we eat to be organic, and it's kind of hard to buy a gluten free flour that's organic, and they have starches in them that I don't particularly care for anyway. So I've settled into some good ones, but I see that you add quinoa a lot to some of your recipes. And I, I always struggled with that because you can't take dry quinoa and just blend it up because you have to rinse it, right? And cook it. It was I good do. to Oh, you... <laughs> yeah. you tell me what you do. Cause I saw that you had recommended adding cooked quinoa to some of the recipes. Yeah.
2: So that's how I make my waffle recipe. I take pre-rinsed quinoa, because you can buy that at Costco, most (laughs) pre rinsed quinoa, which is great. And then I put it in the blender and blend it up, make a quinoa flour with a little bit of oats and sweet potatoes. And that's our waffle. It's really, it's really Mm -hmm. healthy. So most of the recipes in this cookbook are gluten free. I kind of went down that path because so many people are asking for gluten free and they have sensitivities. So I wanted to honor that as well. There's not all of them. There's a few here and there, but for the most part, they're gluten free. Yeah.
0: yeah, I just want to linger a bit on this on this gluten issue for a moment. It it, it says so much about our society today. Why are people experiencing so many gut issues? Mm-hmm. And wheat used to sustain civilizations. And we have changed, I think, two things. We have changed our guts in a bad way because we're not eating a variety of healthy foods. And we have also changed the plant. And with glyphosate and other ways that we've manipulated wheat, it's not what was originally meant for us to consume. It's sad.
1: Yeah, a lot of people don't realize, but you're right. The modern wheat plant is different than. Than what came from nature, um, you know. My dad makes an interesting point in a lot of his talks that uh, when we do eat healthy, though, uh, you know, whole food, plant based diet with a wide variety uh, within it, a lot of uh, food allergies that people suffer, it diminish or go away. So it's kind of uh, kind of interesting that the the worse we eat the more prone we are to uh, you know, various allergic responses to things. And, and that's even true with um, hay fever and all. And I suffered a lot of hay fever growing up as a kid. Now, again, you know, the plant-based diet is not a magic solution for everything. So you know, you're still getting, if you have hay fever, you still uh, are probably going to sneeze in the spring or the, the fall. But I did notice for myself that when I ate well, when you know I started the really clean whole food plant based diet, um, that my allergies were much improved.
0: We also live on a filthy planet. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I live in New York City, and uh, when the seasons change, especially fall and winter, I, I feel it. I have to use a neti pot from time to time just because there's just stuff in my face <laughs> that I feel like I have to clean out.
1: The other thing about our modern world today is we don't get enough sunshine. Mm. You know, there's a real uh, paranoia, not just about viruses now, but also about sunshine. A lot of people are afraid to be in the sun. Of course, you shouldn't get sunburned. You shouldn't overdo it. But being outside and getting sunshine, and my dad talks about this a lot as well, it's so critical for your immune system.
2: His mom and dad are so interesting. Every day, if there's sun, it's not always sun in upstate New York. But every day, no matter what the temperature, they go out there for ten or fifteen minutes and sit in the sun. Which is you do that too. Yeah, I don't they, do it enough. But they, I, t-
1: they take lots of walks. But yeah. you know, being outside and being, you know, in the in the natural world is it's important.
0: Yeah. So just point out some of the recipes that are in this book. Do you have any particular favorites, or do you love them all?
2: Um, It depends on my mood. I love them all, actually. (laughs) I wouldn't put my name on a recipe if I didn't think it was fantastic. And at times, Nelson has said, this is a great recipe. And I said, no, I'm not putting my name on it. So these recipes are recipes that I love and I prepare often. If I could pick a favorite, um, I love the Spanish paella. I just did a show on the Asian dumplings, the lasagna stew. But the other thing with this book that I think is superior to the other books is that desserts are wonderful. Ah, That's so important. Mm -hmm. We have a chocolate sweet potato pie that is very decadent, but it's made with sweet potatoes and dates and it's very good. We have uh, lemon bars, which I happen to like. I know they're not your favorite, but I love lemon bars. Um, (laughs) Grasshopper bars. uh, But really when I eat food, it really, it's a mood thing right? Sure. If I'm feeling a a certain way, sometimes if I'm feeling a little down or I need a lift, pizza is what I go to. It just really depends on on what my mood is.
1: Yeah. And I'll say, Karen, so I I have the unpleasant task. I I won't say unpleasant. I have the task. I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) I have the task of taste testing her her recipes. And uh, I can vouch for the fact that this is the best of the three books. They're all very strong. But, you know, Kim is just uh, such a foodie and she's so obsessed with learning new ideas. It's all she does. And so, uh, you know, over the course of time, she just keeps getting better and better at this. And these recipes are just to die for. They're so, so to live
2: for to
1: live for. yes.
2: (laughs) I also think I, on on my side, not your side of the family, I come from a lot of families that are, have not embraced this. They kind of tried it a little bit but they've not fully embraced it. So I'm always trying to come up with things that I know that my sisters will love or you know that my mother might enjoy and none of them are plant based. They think plant based is a cuisine. They don't think it's a lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> I've quite got that through to them but but I but I actually think it's to my benefit because I'm always trying to build those recipes that they'll enjoy.
0: Yeah, you want to please them and bring yeah. them over because yeah. you care about them and you know it's what's best for them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a, sometimes it's a strange thing where those of us who are in this movement trying to make change, we can positively impact so many strangers and yet some of the people that are close to us we just can't get yeah. to them. Yeah, Yes. <laughs> That's true. I'm curious when you do these immersions What recipes are the ones that people respond to most? Like the ones they go, oh my God, this is just amazing. Or is it all of them?
2: Um, That's interesting because when we made these meals for them, I had people say that we're doing the immersions. They've never eaten this much food and they love it. Um, I used recipes from all three books, mainly this book, but I have to say they love the mashed potatoes and we made a, a veggie loaf, which there's one in the cookbook. We made the sweet potato pie, and they didn't think they could eat that because they were diabetic. But right, after, yes, you can eat that. Um,
1: they liked the pollock paneer too. The
2: pollock paneer, which is an Indian dish, um, they loved scrambled tofu. Uh, Fernando made breakfast for them every morning. They loved that. Um, and yeah, they they pretty areas?
1: much liked every just about everything. I mean, there was a meal here or there that maybe one of them or two of them didn't like as much as the others, but
2: that was the goal um, though, was to provide them with a lot of variety so that they could pick those few that they really liked and repeat, because most of us don't eat, you know, out of a whole cookbook for a whole month. We tend to eat those same recipes over and over. So, but they love
1: the recipes. Yeah, They love the food overall. Yeah.
0: For me, comfort food are root vegetables. I love potatoes and I love sweet potatoes and like your sweet potato pie we're we're learning just how wonderful the sweet potato is. And there are so many, there are so many different colors and textures and some are really, really super sweet and some not so much. And I'm really grateful that we live in this global community where we can experience a greater variety. There are advantages to being able to experience things from around the world in a good way. And, and that's one of them, sweet
1: potatoes. Yeah, Yeah.
0: And are they sweet potatoes or are they yams? Doesn't matter to
2: me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, We we love potatoes, all kinds of potatoes. I would say we eat
2: potatoes almost every day.
1: We're big potato (laughs) fans.
2: It's definitely on my
0: top five of favorite foods. Now, I have just a question here, and I don't want to mention any names, but you mentioned in the forward that there are too many people in the plant-based community that have taken extreme positions. Not well founded in science that make it harder to develop and de- deliver good tasting food to those who are used to a mainstream way of eating.
2: Can you elaborate on that a little bit so there's there's a a big push to they call it s o s free um, and they've also you know taken a lot of other things out but salt oil, sugar, no caffeine, no alcohol no i, I don't know it, the list goes on and on no gluten. When we have that many parameters around being plant-based, it makes it so difficult for those people walking into it because, well, first of all, if you take all the salt and the sugar out of the food, it's not going to taste very good. So you've got to season food with something. So that's my first thing. But but making it so difficult that I know my own sisters have said, I, I, I couldn't cook this way. There's just too many, too many parameters. Everything has to be organic and has to be um, non-gmo and those are great things but it doesn't have to be all the time you know you do your best you can finish
1: that well the other thing is um there's there's a lot of confusing information out there so for example i'll just mention a couple you know the idea that we have to eliminate plant foods that have fats so this would be your nuts and your seeds and your tofus and your avocados and your coconut. Um, you know, my, my dad uh, this past year did a deep dive into the research on all of this. And, you know, these foods contain nutrients that are actually essential to our health. You know, you know, nuts and seeds, for example, they, they have certain nutrients that other plant foods don't have. And if you don't consume that whole category of plant foods, you're actually doing yourself harm. And you know, where we get into problems is when we overconsume those foods. So, you know, a bag of shelled nuts is not the way nature presents those things. So you don't sit down and eat handfuls and handfuls of bagged nuts. Um, and so people need to understand that. But you need to have these foods in your diet. And people who say otherwise, they don't understand the science. And the the issue with salt and sugar. Um obviously you don't want to overdo those ingredients as well but there's and my dad did a deep dive into this too there's no science to suggest that you know a little bit of salt in your diet to season your food in the context of a whole food plant based diet and the tsunami of all of the goodness that comes from that that you know a few crystals of salt and sugar that they they really don't have any kind of biological consequence um, there are obviously outliers. There are some people maybe who have a, a real hypersensitivity to any kind of sodium, so that's different. There are also people who suffer food addictions, and that's different, you know, where those ingredients can be triggers for those folks. So we're we're talking about, you know, the general, you know, mass market consumer and making these comments. But, but you
2: know, the, the idea that if you have had heart disease or you're at risk for heart disease that you should not consume any plants that have fats in them. Your father has said many times that those, you know, walnuts and those They're nuts heart, and seeds are heart-healthy. Yeah,
1: modest, uh, those. A modest amount uh, are heart-healthy. Are and, and then there's issues around saturated fat as well. My dad just wrote a whole paper on this that he's working on now that people actually don't understand that saturated fat is the less reactive form of fat, but the, the real dangerous oils are the unsaturated oils, the unsaturated vegetable mm. oils, because they go into the body and they do a lot of damage. The, sa- the saturated fat that's in a coconut is actually, uh, it's better because it's saturated, because it's not, as, it's not reactive when it goes into your body. And particularly if it's in the context of the whole food, the coconut or even coconut milk, um, it's actually better, better than than you know the unsaturated fats. So just a lot of confusing information out there, and it's really pretty simple. Just eat a variety of whole plant-based foods, a lot of different colors from all parts of the plant, and go ahead and you know use a little seasoning to make it tasty, and that's fine, and that's it.
2: There's a lot of people majoring in minor details.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, I like that.
0: Majoring in minor details, and and also people that are claiming that they're experts or knowledgeable about nutrition based on what they read on the internet, and uh, sometimes they even vilify people that have made statements and come up with important information about fat and oil and salt and sugar, but they've misinterpreted it or taken it beyond what was really meant, and and we're we're not all the same. And as you said, some people have issues with something specific, so they need to completely eliminate it being a problem with salt or being addicted to sweet foods. Yeah. So we have a lot of this. And unfortunately, the government could play a really big role here by just making some really important broad statements, how it's important to eat more plants and far less animals and far less processed foods. That's all we need them to do. We don't need the government to say everybody should be vegan, even though I would like them to do that, (laughs) but they could easily move the bar in a better direction. And then we could focus on the details. I want to kind of tie together the film and the cookbook. So we learn in the film that people struggle with diet. And even those people that have been given the knowledge and are, are shown what to do and how to do it on their own, it's difficult. And it's hard to stick with it because there are so many different parameters. Uh, and and there are more tools that are needed. And cookbooks are certainly one of them. And cookbooks that they know about, that they know they there are recipes in them that they could make. And we need more than that. And I know that your Plant Pure communities, the pods and the products that you're creating are all there to kind of help support. Perhaps you can embellish a little bit more on what it is that you're doing with your books and your film and everything with the plant pure concept.
1: Well, we, um, yeah, we are kind of taking a more holistic approach to this using media to help educate and inspire people. And we have this pod network that's growing and, you know, provides support to people. And, and many pods are engaging in their local communities to help spread the message. And, then we have this food piece with, you know, food products and and, and Kim's cookbooks and 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 we're gonna be doing a lot of media in the future around Kim and her culinary instruction. So we are tackling this in a holistic way. Our biggest challenge, Karen, has been actually uh, funding. How do we sustain all of this? And that has been a real challenge for us. These these two organizations um, on, on the on the food side, we're getting closer to, to a point, a break even point, but not quite there yet. It's mm-hmm. always hard to sustain a nonprofit, you know, because you're not selling a product or something. Um, and so that's been extremely difficult, you know. And then you kind of get caught in a in a trap where you know, you don't have enough money and bandwidth to go out and raise the money. <laughs> and so we've been we've been stuck in that wheel, too. So, you know, um, we're trying to do a lot. But, you know, quite frankly, it has been a struggle too, um, to sustain all of this. So so we'll we'll see what happens. But we're you know, we're doing our best.
0: <laughs> I know you have many plant pod communities, and it's really important to have these social networks at a local level where people can learn together and have support. But I do know that uh, people don't have a lot of time for that. And some people would like to make an income from doing some of that, too. So I'm sure that's challenging all around in terms of the volunteers and the people that are at the grassroots level doing the work that's so important.
1: Yeah, money mm-hmm. money makes the world go around, which is why it's oftentimes spins in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so let's just... Uh, wrap this up on a sweet note I'm I know that whenever I post on Facebook and Instagram the things that get the most likes are the desserts and you said in this cookbook you've concentrated on on more of those let's talk about the Boston cream pie because that has so much
2: history right story that's our love story that's that's our love story yeah so when I first met Nelson back in high school. I was taking culinary classes in high school because I, that's what I thought I wanted to do. Of course, my father said, no, 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 you're not going to culinary school. You're going to go to a four-year college, which I did. Um, but I took everything I could get my hands on, and I learned how to make all kinds of cool things. When I met you, I was making a Boston cream pie that day, and I brought it to class, chemistry class, and he loved it. So I like, <laughs> oh, I got something here. So I kept making more, and Nelson and I started dating, and he would bring the Boston cream pie home. His mother knew I was up to something. Um, but I still make it for him for Father's Day, for birthdays. And that's the one most requested dessert that that uh, he and my son both both love that dessert. So,
0: it's, But the original Boston cream pie that you oh. bought to class was that Oh,
1: a it, classic
2: it, version? It yeah.
1: wasn't as healthy as today's version, no. to say that.
2: White flour, eggs, oil, sugar, so, all that stuff.
1: We were just kind of make starting to make the transition in our late teens. So
2: Yeah, this was so, when we, we were 16 at the time, but we we didn't really start transitioning until we were in our college years. Yeah. Um so I, I, I knew that for this book I had to make a plant-based, relatively healthy boston cream pie but it does use sugar so i apologize for
0: that well i think we're on a continual journey and always learning new things especially when it comes to recipes the the creations are infinite and we're always learning what we can do to make it even healthier but even more delicious because i think i think that's the way to go with plant foods it's all there for us to eat the most nutritious and the most delicious all right. Well, Nelson and Kim, I really appreciated you taking the time today to talk with me and share the very important work that you're doing.
2: Thank you for having
1: yeah, us. Yeah, Thanks for us having us. us.
0: So in addition to Plant Pure Comfort Food, the book, when can we expect to see the film? That's in so, March?
1: Uh, yeah, we're going to do an online release with Food Revolution Network in March. Um, and then after that, um, as I said, we're going to see if if we can get it onto one of the streaming platforms like Netflix or Amazon, and we may do a few more online screenings as well. So this probably won't be the only one that we do online, but eventually it's going to hopefully end up on one of those streaming platforms. And I, I think it will.
0: Okay. So the assignment is to pick up plant pure comfort food, start making some of the recipes, share them with your friends and family, and then, when the film comes out, maybe you could have some kind of fun night or you make some of these recipes and watch the movie, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thank you again for joining me.
1: Okay, thanks, Karen. Thank and take care. And say oh, hello
0: to Karen and Colin.
1: Will. We will. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, nice. Bye.
0: That was Kim N. Nelson Campbell of the Plant Pure Communities, Plant Pure Inc., Plant Pure Documentaries, and Plant Pure Cookbooks. As you know, what has motivated me behind this podcast and all the work I do around food at our nonprofit Responsible Eating and Living is motivated by not wanting to kill animals. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that's the number one issue for me. But being vegan for 35 years and vegetarian for longer, I have evolved, just as many of us have evolved. And my mission, although founded on not wanting to create pain and suffering, it incorporates so much more. I mentioned earlier in the program, I had my experience with advanced ovarian cancer, and it makes sense to me to promote a, not only something that doesn't cause immediate pain and suffering or Pain and suffering for an animal that's grown to feed people over the duration of their lifetime. But pain and suffering in terms of chronic disease for humans, pain and suffering for planet Earth because of environmental destruction that's human induced. And it's obvious that a whole food plant diet is the way to do that, it checks all the boxes. And if you're involved in this community, you know that when we get into the details, as Kim and Nelson mentioned earlier, different experts will focus on different things. And in the Plant Pure Comfort cookbook, you get oil-free recipes. And Kim likes to add a little salt and sugar so that The mainstream, the people that have been used to eating the standard American diet, can easily enjoy these foods. And we've had numerous other people on this program promoting one thing or the other, as they mention SOS-free. I wanna highlight that eliminating salt, sugar, and oil in some ways is really fine-tuning our diet. And for some people, A small amount of salt and sugar is not going to do any harm at all. Personally, I know that adding salt to my diet, I feel it. I feel bloated. I get darker shadows under my eyes. It can really be an individual thing, and it really depends on our lifestyle. And I also believe that those who are in a very severe, very severe, serious health crisis will heal the fastest when they are consuming A diet where every calorie counts, every calorie you take in brings benefit rather than offering nothing, emptiness, or offering something that might react negatively in the body. So it really depends on where you are and what you want to get out of the food you eat. And I can understand that it's confusing, absolutely confusing when it comes to the details. I remember having Marian Nestle on the program not too long ago celebrating her memoir. She presents very broad strokes. And those broad strokes are so important that we should be promoting plant foods, minimally processed plant foods. And if we could move everyone over move the population over to a healthier diet where the foundation is plant foods and the foundation is minimally processed whole foods where we grab an apple instead of a bag of chips and we're used to that and we enjoy it and the government can play a significant role in this but they don't and you know why but if we could then we can start to talk about the variations, the theme and variations. I always like to use that expression from music and art theme and variation. I just wish it wasn't so controversial. And, and I wish that there was a little more camaraderie <laughs> within groups and organizations. Boy, we would really go a lot further if everyone worked together rather than against each other. But we have a lot to celebrate. We have people like him and Nelson Campbell who are doing wonderful things and creating great recipes and films to educate us and help move help move humanity over a little bit. I've seen some comments recently about people not liking the use of process because basically when we harvest any food from that step on we're processing it one way or another. And the question is how far. Do we have to go to consider a food really, really processed? And I'm going to reference Marian Nessel again, because she considers something ultra processed as something that you cannot make in your own home, that you need industrial ingredients, or even a factory to create some of the products that we see in stores. And I think that's a pretty good definition. Certainly when we peel the skin, off of something that's a form of processing when we heat something that's a form of processing when we put something in a food processor it has the word process in it that's a form of processing but these are all pretty mild and they don't have as big an impact on the nutritional value the quality of the food as ultra processing does so maybe we have to add adjectives Minimally processed, marginally processed, very processed, ultra processed, in order to get a better idea of the food. But, but the simplest thing, the simplest way, in my opinion, is to buy foods, if you're not growing your own foods, is to buy them in the simplest form that you can find them and then prepare them in your own kitchen because then you know what's in the food. There's been some conversation about protein bars and these bars in general if they're healthy or not. New York Times had an article recently called are protein bars actually good for you or are they just glorified candy bars and Cliff Bar. I think they're getting nervous because we're starting to pay attention to the ingredients on the labels, and Cliff Bar always came across as something healthier than a candy bar. They sponsored a workshop, and the article was published in the Oxford Academic Making Healthy Sustainable Diets Accessible and Achievable A New Framework for Assessing the Nutrition, Environmental, and Equity Impacts of Packaged foods. And while the article in the New York Times wasn't so bad, it was okay because they talked about how we shouldn't be focusing entirely on protein, and many of the bars may not be so good for us because they have a lot of added sugar, they couldn't help but include a little needling for the vegan. There was a paragraph that started, protein bars might make sense for someone who needs to increase their protein intake. For example, a vegan who doesn't get enough protein from their diet or someone who just had an intense workout. Mr. De Marino said, right, Mr. De Marino needs to learn a few things and the New York Times should know better than to put something like that slamming vegans because not only do vegans not have a problem getting protein, we know that all plant foods contain complete protein. Vegans in general get more varied nutrition, get more of the necessary vitamins and minerals, and the few things we don't get like B12 can easily be supplemented. <laughs> and at the end of the article, Marion Nestle is saying opt for the ingredients you recognize. If they're largely nuts and fruits, that's not bad. And on top of that, Dr. Nestle suggests eating a handful of nuts. But Mr. Di Marino, who was slamming vegans, recommends tuna or hard-boiled eggs, which are high in protein but not processed. Mr. Di Marino, you need to do a little more research because those hard-boiled eggs, although they may not be considered processed, those chickens who produce those eggs have been processed. They have been processed in many ways, consuming feed that is processed and the drugs and the nutrients they're given And the inbreeding that's been done in order for them to create a certain kind of egg. That's all processing. And it's all industrial. And it's not good. And let's not even talk about tuna. Thanks to the filthy planet we live on, most of the living creatures in the ocean are filled with all kinds of toxic materials. I think the point is that these bars aren't the best thing that you can put in your body. Right? Fruits, raw nuts and seeds. If you even need a snack, because snacking is not the ideal way to eat, we should be eating two or three meals a day that are satisfying. We leave a big enough break in between the meals so that we can digest and detox and then eat again. But so many people are eating on the run and they want to get something healthy. And for some reason, packing nuts and seeds or fruit seems too complicated, right? Right? some companies like Cliff realize we're reading. We're reading the labels, or more people are reading the labels, and that's a good thing. I'll link those articles I'm referring to in this podcast post. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. I'm Karen Hartglass. This has been another episode of It's All About Food. We featured Kim and Nelson Campbell, and Kim's latest cookbook, Plant Pure Comfort Food. Thanks for joining me. If you have any comments or questions, you can find me at info at And please visit our website at responsibleeatingandliving.com. Have a delicious week, everybody.